Welcome, welcome to Freaked Out with your co-hosts, Liz and Landon. What's up, everybody? Guys, I have been waiting and anticipating this part two of the Teresa Hallback episode for a while now. <laughs> Normally with the uh, part twos, we usually come out like a week later, but unfortunately we didn't have the time for it. So now we do. So hooray. For all those waiting for the Kaylee Anthony episode, it will be dropped on Sunday. Yes, and for those of you who are already aware, when it comes to the Kaylee Anthony episode, I have come across this uh, reborn doll at a garage sale around the corner from where we live, and she's been very attracted to this doll. Not only is there a bit of uh, striking resemblance, but it also made Kaylee stick around. I have even been carrying this doll with me every once in a while, too, so... This episode is our last for the month, so please make sure to enjoy. Liz worked very hard to get this episode ready to go for you guys. (laughs) That was not easy. Now, where did we leave off last time? You had just informed us that the police had a fake police officer amongst them and had pretty much killed Teresa Hallback while planting incriminating evidence to pin it on Steve Avery. Yes, and there's so much involved with it as well. I'm going to try to give as much detail as I have without anyone getting lost along the way because it is a little confusing and there's so many parts to this situation, it's unreal. Definitely a lot to cover. Let's try to focus on one thing at a time. Now, obviously, Earl, which is Steve's brother, had given permission for Pamela and Nicole Sturm to go onto the property at the salvage yard since he was running the business to take a look and see what they could find. Yes, that is correct. Now, from what I can see, in this particular situation, Pamela was one of those Karen-type people, if you understand what I mean. She was uh, very, very, very pushy, and I feel as though previously to her coming to the salvage yard, she was trying to convince her search party to allow her to go to the salvage yard because she already knew exactly where this RAV4 was going to be. How would she know among so many vehicles? She received, um, let's say, a tip from one of the volunteers. Isn't that convenient? And from what I gather, this particular volunteer is exactly who ended up killing Teresa in the first place. He, of course, had made a statement to the search party indicating that he had seen a vehicle when he was on the property, and he gave some sort of funny excuse as to why he was there in the first place. Regardless of what side of the story I was on, I would find that situation very odd. And in that moment, I keep seeing the brother and the ex-boyfriend Perhaps a couple other close friends in the family, including the parents, which, by the way, they had been pretty noisy about Teresa in this particular case, and they knew if they had asked to come onto the property, they would in fact not be allowed to based on who they were. And also their energy seemed to be pretty nasty at the moment, which is where Pamela kind of had suggested that she go because she was really good at convincing people to let her do things, and she was given like a little map of where to go. I see a little piece of paper of some terrible drawing on it with a pen, blue pen to be exact, and I feel like they told her exactly where to go in the salvage yard. Who would know information like that other than the actual killer themselves? Of course, this particular man had informed everyone he had gone onto the property to snoop himself. And he didn't want to get in trouble, which is why he had kind of led this woman to do it. 
This guy seems to be pretty significant in this case. Again, not the main person though, just someone who was also a bigger player in the game. Yes, Pamela had indicated on the stand that she was not familiar with the property at all, and the property was approximately 40 acres. It just doesn't make sense that she would just know exactly where to go. She's not a bloodhound or a police sniffing dog. Exactly. And that's a key piece to the situation. And unfortunately, she protected this particular person, but she was definitely lying on the stand when she said she just came across it. She honestly just wanted justice for Teresa. I don't feel like she had anything to do with the disappearance of Teresa, but they definitely knew because she had a very big, loud mouth. She would also be a good pawn to keep this little white lie under wraps. Absolutely. Ryan had given these women a direct line to the sheriff in case they found anything. Exactly, because they knew they were going to find something. She had entered into that lot at 9.50 a.m., and by 10.20 a.m., they had found this vehicle, only 30 minutes in an oversized salvage yard, again, that is 40 acres. Teresa felt bad for her aunt, but also she feels like her aunt felt like she had made a genuine difference in this story, so she's really proud of her side of things. She wishes that her aunt would come forward and tell everyone exactly who gave her the information so they can start there. She had made a statement that God had led her to the space, God being the person that killed her niece. There's still time she can come forward and tell everyone that she lied on stand, and, you know, they'll understand. <laughs> so if you're listening to this, you know exactly who I'm talking about. On November 3rd, two days before the RAV4 was found, Sergeant Andrew Colburn had phoned in a license plate wanting to confirm if, in fact, that was Teresa Hallback's license plate. At this time, he didn't indicate that he had found the vehicle in any capacity. Oh, yes. Mr. Sergeant Andrew Colburn is definitely one of those people who was on the list of trying to nail the coffin for Stephen Avery. He, I believe, was also involved in that conversation. I believe that whomever this fake cop had been conveniently had a license plate number, and I believe they gave it to him, this sergeant, so he can in fact confirm it was accurate information, or if it belonged to her. And exactly that took place. He was able to confirm it. He didn't inform anyone else of what he had seen or did, of course. He just made it seem like he was just double-checking. In reality, he was trying to sneakily obtain information to see if they were on the right path. I also believe that Sergeant Andrew knew exactly where this fake police officer was because he was part of putting this particular fake officer up there because he was uh, definitely part of the murder of Teresa. He was part of the team to kind of stage Avery. When it comes to the DNA that they found on the bullet, obviously it was inconclusive because it was contaminated. However, because of the special circumstances, they decided to make a big indication that it was Teresa's DNA. Can Teresa confirm that DNA was hers? Of course. You know, all this continues to show that the police really did try to control the situation and make damn sure that Stephen Avery went down for this. In fact, she shows me that there were genuine situations with genuine crimes that were being put on the side so that they can pin all of this on Avery. She shows me that her DNA was absolutely nowhere on the gun in relation to Stephen. 
She does show me, however, she was killed with a gun, but it belonged to the man who pretended to be the police officer. Unfortunately, we didn't have any positive IDs come through surrounding the identity of this man. However, we're going to continue to see what we can figure out here. Yes. Okay, so let's go back to Teresa and her attacker. How did this man kill her? She shows me that he had not killed her there. Although she shows me he did hit her over the head and smashed it with a rock, I believe, as well. Items around the junkyard. But she shows me that she was unconscious and thrown in the trunk of that police car. It looks as though he had taken her RAV4 and placed it exactly where he wanted to, to make it look like it was being hidden as well, which is why there was all this, like, debris around the vehicle, to make it seem like they were trying to hide it. But it was also easy enough to kind of, you know, find as well. I mean, it would have to be to find it in 30 minutes on 40 acres. (laughs) So where did he take her? Well, he had a lot to do, but he did end up taking her somewhere forest related. I would say there's about 100 acres of forest, not too far away. I believe there's a lot of people who do hunting and fishing in this particular area. And I feel as though they had this cop car. He could genuinely do whatever the hell he wanted. So she shows me that they drove a very long time while in the trunk, but she was definitely bleeding. Uh, She shows me that they didn't go far, although they drove around quite a distance. From what she shows me, it was deep into the forest because it was definitely off-road. He shot her and left her for dead. Now, from what she shows me, this took about mm, two hours because not only did he kill her, but he had also taken a few, I don't know, fragments of DNA, but not much because he didn't want them to figure out too much. So he was instructed to just take a little bit of DNA. I even feel like there was a couple of hair samples as well, and they were planning to leave them behind. But unfortunately, he kind of screwed everything up. He wasn't the brightest person. I feel like there was a secondary person involved with him there too. I feel like this person met up with him later when he had brought her to the forest. There are so many people involved in this, I would say like 10 to 15, and then on top of that, there's about 20 to 30 people that know details about the case and will not say anything because they just want Avery to go down for this case. Wow. It's almost as if the entire town was in on it. (laughs) Sadly, a lot of people are, and there are people that know details, even above and beyond this group of 30 to 40 people. They also just are too afraid to say anything because they don't want to go against the group because, you know, they're afraid they'll be the next person to be framed for murder. Let's talk about the burn pit. Was Teresa placed in the burn pit? And if so, was she transported there? So this is the part that's a little confusing. From what I see, after she passed on, she had been transported back to the property with this police officer. Now, I feel like the police officer at this point was no longer in uniform. I feel like the other guy that had initially come with him to the forest had come with him back to the salvage yard to drop fragments of her DNA places. I feel like they dropped fragments of DNA by the RAV for the fire pit, but I only think they did that because they had seen that the fire pit had been going previously. So they just wanted to you know, add something there to make it seem like this was something they were actively doing because they could have a few witnesses state that there was a burn pit going on. 
I also feel like they put some pieces of like her hair and other objects around and they were supposed to transport her car keys somewhere else but they didn't get the opportunity to do so so they had to take those keys with her. I also see that she was shot but I feel like initially her death was done with a knife. I think the shot in the head was basically to pin it on him. It's kind of what I'm feeling. There was a knife and a gun involved. I'm just not sure which one was first but both were involved in her death. These people definitely know what they were doing and it is incredibly worrisome if you are not well liked like Stephen Avery. They can do just about anything. (laughs) I also feel like her blood was drained after she died as well. I feel like they took a syringe and gloves and I see that they just drew as much DNA as possible. But I can tell you this, it was supposed to be more. They were supposed to have more. They had to act very quickly and weren't able to get a thorough enough job done. But that didn't matter to the police as long as they had something to pin it on him. So the police had been trying to pin this fire that the Averys had made, indicating that this is where they had burned her. It's probably the most connected piece of evidence to the case in this particular evening. From what Charissa explains to me, this was not uncommon for him to have like a fire pit going. He had a lot of things that he would want to get rid of and he didn't necessarily want to put it in the trash. He was very, very paranoid the police were going to get him somehow, regardless of what kind of crime it was. But either way, he just enjoyed it. They all enjoyed hanging out by the fire after a long day. And from what I can see, the police were aware of him doing this. A lot of the residents were aware of him doing this. Everybody knew he enjoyed it. So, of course, they're going to gather evidence there one way or another. My next question for you is this. Who was involved in planting the keys to the RAV4 in Stephen Avery's trailer? Well, I do not believe that it was planted the first time around they had gone to the trailer. I feel as though they were really looking for some items in there to kind of try to connect them, but unfortunately nothing was found. And I honestly feel like those keys were supposed to be left behind, but that also got kind of kiboshed. Because they really had nothing to go off of, they felt like they needed to go back in. And I feel like they worked very hard to get their hands on getting back in there. But in reality, it was Mr. Lank and Mr. Colburn who were the ones who initially planted it. I do believe that it was Mr. Lank who was the actual person that planted the evidence. I see that there were other police officers there that were assigned to babysitting them. Even though there were officers there to babysit them, they all laughed and thought it was real funny that they all trust each other, didn't really care if the evidence was planted or not. Either way, the police officers that were there to babysit were not in fact actually babysitting anything or any capacity. In fact, most of them in there were just making fun of Avery most of the time. Everything that he had accomplished, they just sat there and laughed about it. Of course, the prosecution indicated that Teresa was murdered in Stephen Avery's garage. What does she have to say about that? She said that she was nowhere near his garage, and the defense was able to break that down one way or another. She also confirms that she never spent any time on his property of any sorts. It was always outside. The closest she got to anything surrounding Steve was perhaps maybe the little office that he conducted his business in, where the computer was. 
and she shows me she only spent a brief moment or two in the doorframe. It wasn't the most recent time she had gone there either. I know we talked about this a little bit before, but the vial of blood that was used in his original case, was that the blood used to frame him in this situation? <laughs> it absolutely was. They determined that they were going to use that blood if they could not find any of his own, and they were trying their hardest to find something. But unfortunately, they couldn't find anything. So they remembered they had his physical blood, and they went for it. I believe that the fake police officer was looking for some sort of hair sample or something to plant evidence there, but unfortunately for him, he wasn't able to find anything solid, which is why they pulled the blood. And, you know, Avery didn't have any cuts of any sorts or injuries on his body. He wouldn't have been able to kind of, I don't know, bleed that much without any sort of, you know, evidence that he was bleeding. Exactly. So at the time that the jury was deliberating, there were some issues with one of the jurors' family. There was an emergency, and unfortunately, this juror needed to be excused. Was there any sort of confusion surrounding the situation? Did anything come out of the situation that they haven't talked about? From what I gather, I feel like there was a genuine emergency. However, with that being said, I feel as though this particular juror was on Steve Avery's side. And although Steve got to make the final decision as to who would come in, I don't necessarily feel like it was the best choice. And from what I can see, this person was not able to complete the rest of the deliberation. So you believe that juror was in favor of Avery and could have made the whole difference of this situation? Correct. I don't feel like this juror was coerced or anything. I really feel like it just so happened to be a very inconvenient situation at the time, but I honestly think he, you know, he made the difference there. So majority of the people on the juror were not necessarily in favor to find him guilty, but that changed. Do you know why? Oh, yes. There were a few people that couldn't see anything other than him being 100% guilty. I also believe that was based on the fact that everyone knows everybody else. I feel like a few of the jurors that sat there to make damn sure that he didn't get any sort of innocent verdict. They decided to make a compromise and give him a lesser charge and one not guilty verdict. I believe they'd still be in that room today deliberating. I don't know if these jurors really ever had any sort of doubt in their mind that he didn't do it. All right, let's move on to Brendan Dassey's trial. So he made a confession that he, in fact, was part of killing Teresa Hallback. Obviously, we know that all of this is incorrect. But do we know why he confessed and everything surrounding that? I really feel bad for Brendan in this case. I understand that he was a significant piece of evidence to be able to determine that Steve was involved in this, technically Steve being the ringleader. But I genuinely feel like Brendan had no idea what the hell he was doing. He was just living his life. He is like a people pleaser and the police would not let him leave until they obtained what they were looking for from him. They had seen him as this weak link. They had set it up in their minds that they were going to get a confession from this guy because his intelligence and his mental health and his inability to comprehend what was going on or what they were referring to. I know that they went into this particular confession not leaving until they got exactly what they wanted from the poor kid. 
Now, in the back of his mind, Brennan knew he did absolutely nothing and that Steve did absolutely nothing. But when he did his little confession after being pressed over and over again, he was given some sort of acknowledgement that he would be rewarded in the fact of giving these details. And based on the fact that Brendan is a people pleaser, he just kind of went along with it, not really knowing what was about to take place. This poor kid should have never been on trial one way or another because he is not mentally capable of it. He should have never even have been questioned alone either. Of course, the jury did not get to see the last hour and 38 minutes of the recording of this confession, which included him telling his mother that the investigators got in his head. Oh, yes, of course, because they don't want to be all pointed at for the interrogation of a young boy for almost three and a half hours that simply did not have the mental capacity to answer these questions. His mother, for sure, should have been there through the situation in the very least, a lawyer or something. But from what I gather, they kind of made it seem to her as though he had no reason to think that it was him, and they were just using him as a witness in their eyes. So I don't feel like mom pressed too hard, but she definitely wanted to be in there with him, but they just recommended it was pointless. The police manipulated the hell out of that family, including mom. Yeah, I know in most states, like, you can't even talk to a kid. They have to have, like, a parent. Like, you could be 16, but the parents have to sign off on it, you know? Mm Mm-hmm. So let's talk about Kayla now, Brendan's cousin. That situation seems pretty shady as well. I feel like the way the police are making it look as though she came running to them about this information. Meanwhile, they had reached out to her and everyone else they could because she had made a statement about how Brennan was acting unusual. But it was in relation to what was going on with the family. He was upset that his uncle had been, you know, accused of murder. You know, he was also upset about his own personal life. And of course, they decided to go fishing. I do not believe that any sort of conversation between her and Brandon ever happened about Steve Avery or anything that may have been conducted that day. I believe the only conversation they had was at the party where she asked him if he was okay and he just kind of shrugged it off. Obviously, his family was going through some shit at that time. How did they end up getting the statement from Kayla? They scared the ever-living shit out of her. You can tell right from the beginning as she sits there on the stand, you can tell she was very young, very manipulated, very scared. She may have lied about a couple of things, but I also feel like she was coerced. I really feel bad for the kids. They really went at the children as their solid foundation of proof, especially considering these are all members of each other's families. They're trying to get them to all turn against each other. They are questioning all these poor kids because they know they can manipulate them easier than the adults. I've worked with many people with disabilities and I know from my own personal experience with it and Brendan was not given any chance. Yes. I also understand where he was coming from. I was pinned as a troubled kid and would make not so good choices and never did anyone ever believe me anytime I would say anything. And of course, I had screwed up in the past. Nobody would believe me. So I might as well kind of fess up. That's how I always looked at life. That way I can take the punishment and then carry on with my day and then get past it. Obviously, this child did not understand the capacity of what was happening in any way. How would he? He had never done anything in that capacity. He grew up in his home in a very small town. Not a lot going on. Very simple lead life. Definitely pissed me off watching them interrogate him over and over again with the same questions on the witness stand. That was just the light version. I know he is innocent and I feel it in my bones. 
All right, let's get back to Teresa, this poor woman. Let's tie all these pieces together. She was chosen to be the victim in the situation. Why was she chosen? I feel like the only reason she was chosen was because she was going to have some interaction with him. And unfortunately, more than anything else in the world, these people wanted to get him. They felt as though he was gloating about his previous release from jail, and it made the police look bad. So they wanted to have him convicted by any means necessary. And sure, it was a plus to have that kind of a young girl that would stir up an uproar. The police and a few friends of the lawyers, except for Stephen's lawyers, were involved in this. Everybody knows that everyone had to be on the same page or they would suffer somehow in a big way. All the money, gone. This was very important for everyone. Was anybody that it was attached to or related to Teresa involved in this as well? There's definitely something sketchy about the ex. I really do feel like this ex was pissed at her. Now, I don't necessarily feel like he had anything to do with her death, but I do feel like he was the one, at least the main one, that the police worked hard to pin the crime on Stephen Avery. He was also the person who really insinuated that this is the family. I feel like he is a key influencer on the side of the family. In fact, Teresa shows me she wanted absolutely nothing to do with him, and she was kind of irritated at him, and he was really heavily involved in her death after the fact. She said that Stephen Avery never put his hands on her, but this particular individual had put his hands on her a few times. No, she was not beaten or anything along those lines, but she shows me he grabbed her wrists often and would try to stop her from leaving places and prevent her from living the life she wanted. She said that this man should be convicted of something because he was definitely abusive towards her, but that was never highlighted. And he ended up looking like a hero to her family, and she's actually pretty disappointed in that. She shows me she wanted her family to just open their eyes. And she says that they do see things, but they did pretend that they didn't. I believe he had since moved on with somebody else. I do believe that Teresa's family does see certain things. She also mentions that he was definitely the one who had made the suggestion to his friends, perhaps at a local bar. I keep seeing darts, maybe. They were playing darts and drinking beer, but I feel like he just so happened to have her schedule consistently, whether she would give it to him or not. He would just know things, and I feel like he openly spoke about her over at the Avery's house, perhaps a few days previously, and how uncomfortable it would make him whenever she would go anywhere, let alone in the company of other men. So do you believe that the ex-boyfriend had some sort of relationship with the people that killed Teresa? Yes, but without genuinely being aware. He would bitch and bitch about certain things, and of course, certain things surrounding Stephen Avery, the obsessive crowd, hated him so much. He really had a bad reputation in town, so everyone just assumed the absolute worst of him. And of course that there were a few that didn't, and I feel as though these little pieces of information that were completely untrue would be submitted to police officers so they would just know things. Where she would end up, of course, was a whole setup. 
I do feel like they had been looking for the perfect crime to do for a year. And of course, they had no idea how they were going to pull it off. But I do see that the plan started to move in motion. I feel like they made a lot of mistakes purposely so they couldn't be blamed. They were afraid, of course. Teresa shows me that these people, the ones that killed her, even the man that killed her, although he was the physical person to kill her, she doesn't really blame him entirely. She blames him for having no emotion because he was definitely a psychopath. And she blames the community. She blames all the people that convicted the family that Steve Avery killed her. Every single person from the Manitowoc County, plus all of the friends associated and a couple of her friends associated with her family. She said all of them knew he was innocent. She says that the man that killed her He's still alive today. He was compensated very nicely and has long blown his money, of course. From what she shows me, he had a bit of a porno stash. He still carries the porno stash around. I see that he was a big drinker, still is, spends a lot of time watching television, of course. I really feel like this secret is eating him inside out, but he knows he can't let it out. Why is that? First and foremost, I feel like he had some sort of conviction in the past, and I feel like they kind of rubbed that out for him. Everyone else involved in this case had decided to take it to the grave, including the corrupt judge, I might add. In order for him to come out and say anything, he will be left alone to defend himself. Obviously, this judge will deny. Every single person will deny, deny, deny. And Stephen knows that nobody will defend him or have his back in any capacity. They may even suggest he's lying to obtain some sort of fame out of it since his life is meaningless. He knows that nobody will come forward, not a single person. Does Teresa's family genuinely believe that he did it to this day? Looks like that, sadly. But I do feel like sometimes there is a bit of doubt that creeps in because there isn't a lot of evidence. I don't feel like they've gotten any sort of closure because the story just didn't have any sort of end result. They were hoping eventually that Avery would confess to this and they'd be able to kind of fill in the missing pieces, but yet that is yet to happen. All right, let's move on and let's talk about Ken Kratz. Oh my goodness, this slime ball creep ball. He really does give lawyers a bad name. He's one of those slime balls that use his sliminess to get everything he needs and wants. Let's just say the Manitowoc Police Department told him he would be a king if he got Stephen Avery put away. He agreed to be the perfect one for this. I feel like there was another DA that they did not approach about it because I feel like they wouldn't necessarily have been as, you know, cutthroat. I think these two men would be walking free today if it was the other DA, if I'm going to be honest. So, of course, they definitely hid his sexual misconduct allegations from several women, of course, because that would make them look bad again. This particular Manitowoc Police Department really just doesn't like to get the bad rap, and they do everything they can to protect one another. Oh, yeah. 
I feel like this Ken Kratz character had actually paid off a few different people already that did not come forward, including perhaps some rape allegations. I feel as though he spent many nights in a hotel room alongside of a few women he would meet at his job. He would offer them nice dinner. He would offer them a place to stay, something connected to pro bono work too. I feel like he would basically make them do sexual favors because they would feel obligated. All I can see is this gross, ugly, white guy with zero uh, personality just trying to get these women to do sexual acts on him. And I feel like he also hired prostitutes. I feel like he took drugs. I know they mentioned a couple of over-the-counter drugs, but I feel like there were many other drugs he also took, including coke, but he was definitely feeling like the king of his castle. He had to hide a lot of that too. And of course, when, you know, his fellow employees came forward, they also advised him to make sure he hid everything else badly that he was doing. Absolutely. And he barely got any sort of punishment surrounding the situation. I feel like they put a big shield over him as much as they possibly could. Oh, yeah, they definitely did that. So stepping forward quite a bit away because there has been a lot of thoughts about Bobby Dassey being the one to kill her. Is there any truth surrounding that? There is definitely a connection to Bobby Dassey in this particular case as well, but I don't necessarily feel like he had killed Teresa Hallback. Maybe not completely. Maybe he was the secondary person involved. I'm not entirely sure. There is definitely an involvement with Bobby. Perhaps that's how they were able to get onto the property so easily to obtain Teresa and and get her off the property. Teresa shows me she had met Bobby a couple of times in passing, shows me that he had some sort of involvement in the monetary side of things, not the physical, so she's confirming that now. He isn't the nicest guy to women, and he did have a troubled past with abuse, so when it comes to the money that he received, I feel like he didn't realize how badly things would end up either. I feel like he had a lot of secrets within him that could have genuinely assisted Brendan and Stephen, but I feel like he had to continue to keep them inside. Although now they're starting to speculate he had something to do with it. Perhaps there may be some sort of change in his story, and he may end up up opening up a little bit more with all the pressure going on in the media, but I feel like it's a very slim situation, and I'm not sure if that will ever come to fruition. So she doesn't feel like he is the main culprit in the situation, and she also has not stated that he was the one to physically kill her. Yes, I know everyone really genuinely wants to have some sort of conviction for her so she can rest peacefully, but she's telling me they're just pulling at strings here with this particular one. The other thing that the documentary had left out was that Stephen had sweat DNA on the vehicle of the RAV4. Why was the sweat there? I'm going to say that when she came to the property, they did have a conversation and he may have put his hand on her vehicle, but I don't feel as though he had done it any other time. And perhaps he may have forgotten for a moment. I mean, it is a very small detail to understand or remember. I feel like it's a pretty significant piece of information that he may be scared to share, but I don't believe he remembered it because I think he did that to all sorts of people's cars unintentionally, regardless of who came to visit him. All right. So another question, how does she feel about everything being brought to light all over again? The family is upset about her name being dragged through the mud, this particular case again. So how does she feel about it? 
Honestly, she just wants justice served. She understands that it's painful for the family, but she also wishes her family will listen a little bit more because they have always had some doubts. I think she suggested her mother specifically had doubts. I don't believe her mother voices these opinions. I also believe that she is consistently visiting her mother to let her know in dreams that it wasn't the guy. But most of the time, her mother just tries to, you know, grieve her, her loss of her child. Doesn't want to spend any time thinking about anything else. You know, it's kind of just sitting in the back of her mind that she's gone. It's understandable with families and where they're coming from. I really do feel for them and this sticky situation. But in reality, the truth does need to be heard. It definitely is stressful. Well, how about this? Do you feel as though Steve and Brendan will end up getting out of jail and have the overturning of the wrongful conviction? I feel like there is a huge possibility he can find himself out of jail. I see that he is effortlessly working. And when I say he, I'm referring to Steve. I feel like there's a lot of these really big things still to come in this case and that there's going to be a lot of things happening surrounding Bobby Dassey. I feel it may be able to put the blame on to Bobby, but I don't necessarily feel like Bobby will end up getting any sort of conviction either. It is going to take a couple of years still, I would say maybe until 2026, but even then I feel like they're going to have to be able to redo his entire case. And uh, of course, Brendan as well will follow suit. I do feel as though he will eventually get you know, out of prison too. I feel like they will both end up out of it. It will take some time and I don't feel like they're going to receive any sort of apology just like before or anything along those lines, but I do see something significant happening, maybe a blow up of some sorts. Will Teresa ever get the proper kind of justice? I feel like she will eventually get something. I do feel like there will be something else that happens in the Manitowoc Police Department. I'm going to say they will be able to put more and more details together to assist. I feel like a little piece of the story will come out. I don't necessarily feel like the person that physically did it to her will be connected, but I do feel like there will be a lot of inconsistencies with the Sheriff's Department that will assist in her case. I feel as though they may try their luck with Bobby Dassey, but again, no DNA to connect the two of them. She's showing me that she's not angry. She's not unhappy. And she said that her life was kind of all over the place. Although she was young, she was pretty depressed. She was definitely enjoying the photography side of things and did want much more for herself there. But she said she's okay. And of course, she misses her family and her friends and her friends and family that were really there for her. You know, she really is happy with them too and glad that they have that support. Is there anything else you want to tell us? Well... I plan to reach out to the Avery family and let them know that there's this podcast episode and part two. Maybe they'll get a chance to listen. Maybe Steve himself will be able to get a chance to listen. I also will be sending off a letter to both him and Brendan to let them know that I've made this episode. So hopefully one day they'll be able to obtain justice so that they get it because they deserve it. I don't feel like this will be the last episode. I believe that at some point next year, we'll be covering a part three because there will be more to come, maybe the next year after. But there is definitely much more that we'll cover. We will definitely give you guys an update on the situation when and if there is any. This Sunday, we will be giving you guys the episode of Kaylee Anthony. You definitely won't want to miss this one either. The following week on the exclusive side, we will be covering the I Love Lucy stars, Desi and Lucy, and we will talk about the wonderful things and all the hard things. You won't want to miss that episode either. Until next time, guys, stay freaked out. (laughs) 